You're listening to Through Help and Back. Through Help and Back is a podcast focused on mental health, addiction, treatment, recovery, and all things related to personal improvement and wellness. Don't worry, we're not here to talk about problems without solutions, and we're definitely not here to talk about struggles without success. So come with your problems, leave with our solutions. Welcome to yet another episode of Through Help and Back. Uh, it's so great to be with you today uh, here on this warm and balmy, uh, if you're outside, uncomfortably warm uh, July 13th day. Uh, so happy to have you. So thankful that you've joined us to talk about issues related to mental health, addiction, self-improvement, and really just this human experience of life and how to make it a little bit better. Um, very excited for today's show. Um, you guys don't really get to see the behind the scenes movement and machinations, but I have a, a very busy and in-demand person that we've we've worked <laughs> multiple times to get her time, but she's here with us today. Uh, we are honored by the presence of Mariah Seeger Degeer. Uh, she is the in-house relationship expert for Paired, uh, which is an app for couples. Uh, she's also in private practice uh, with an organization known as BFF Therapy, which is in the New York area. Uh, so Mariah, thank you so much for making time. It's so good to see you. Thank you for having me. That was a hysterical intro because yes, I am a little bit busy, but it's worth it. I have a lot of fun. Well, and I have to take full ownership. I mean, there was a little bit of a uh, little bit of me, a little bit of you. I mean, you know, the the fates were against us there for a couple of weeks, but uh, very happy to have you here today. So, um, you know, normally I start off with some background stuff and normally we have a topic. I'm very honored that we don't have a topic. Uh, we've talked a couple of times and the topics just seem to flow. So I'm excited to see where this hour goes. But I think right off the bat, I, I have to ask, what is an in-house relationship expert? And what does one do if they're an in-house relationship expert? Yeah, absolutely. So the Paired app is really focused on relational health and maintenance for couples. And so it really supports you and have like in having deeper, um, more connected conversations. So we're working on intimacy for couples. And so me as the in-house expert, I've been a couples therapist, primarily working either with couples or individuals on relationships for over a decade now. Um, and I do actually, I started my very first work was working with couples in treatment. So I think that's really interesting. And I actually have a lot of addiction experience, even though now I'm like in the tech world and it looks really different. Um, but I worked a lot with fresh, like in treatment and also like sex addiction and porn addiction for years. And so just like dancing around in that space, but for paired and I adore it, um, in terms of my busyness, like it's a UK based company. So I actually get up early, which is actually really great with my kiddos that I can be up and working kind of before my house wakes up. I really like it. Um, and I do sort of like everything from app development to all the way through to very much more forward facing PR for them. Um, and so I do a lot of different like and expert things. I also have a monthly column for Refinery29 called Can We Talk? And it's like the Ask a Therapist. Um, and so you, anyone can write in any questions and me and some really amazing editors over at Refinery and Vice. Um, <laughs> yeah. God bless the editors, right? I'm in that position too, where it's just like, you can just say stuff and you're like, oh, and then they clean it all up and it looks so beautiful and it's, they're the best. So they're amazing. I'm, I'm sure you don't see everything, but are there any, you know, for the ask uh, the therapist deal, are there any uh, themes to what you're seeing? Like, what do people tend to ask about most often? Like, what are people curious about? Yeah, I actually do. We have an inbox and sort of like the Google form. So, um, and we get a lot of questions. I mean, 
a lot of it, I would say, is really around because relationship related, but like fear around talking to your partner around something. And so if anything, it's funny. So like, you know, I spend a lot of my time working on this app that is opening conversations for couples and every single other area of my life is pretty much starting conversations and like supporting people and having healthy conversations. And how do we really like, how do we do brave vulnerability well? And how do we step shame and like, you know, and especially cross-culturally, so I do a lot of activism work, is how do we really meet people who have had a very different life experience? How do we talk to them in a way that is loving and kind um, and really with empathy? And so the themes that come in are all over the place, (laughs) but I think everything is always like, I'm afraid to talk to my partner about X. Um, Last month was like, um, you know, what was it like? Or maybe it was oh yeah, it's July, June, right? Like what can I tell my partner? I have, um, like, uh, SDI. My doctor said I don't have to like things like that. Um, how do I talk about opening up my relationship for either a threesome or just an open relationship? How do we talk about different things around sex? I mean, it's really, how do I talk to my partner around this thing that is happening more than any other style of dilemma? I feel like for relationships, it's more, I'm scared to talk. Yeah. And, and did you find that is consistent, like with your work in the addiction field Was that, was that also kind of a, a miscommunication misfiring? How do I connect on, or, you know, was it sort of similar things that they were dealing with? Absolutely. Well, and there's two pieces like with addiction. And then I still do just so much affair work is, you know, even before the affair happens. So addiction is a little different because a lot of people enter into the relationship with addiction. We're navigating a different beast. Um, but there is that level of there's something going on for me personally inside that I don't know how to talk to you about slash I'm really scared that I'm going to hurt you. I'm really scared of that reaction. Oh, wow. And most of the time it's, yeah, I've done something. I don't want to say bad, but I've done something painful and I've made that choice. But you're still a person that I really love and care about. And it's so hard for that portrayed partner to feel loved like there was something going on that I didn't even want to talk to you or didn't feel like I could talk to you about the pain I was in. So with the full disclaimer that we always have to put on here and, you know, and this, this podcast has a really long disclaimer at the end that says, Hey, we're, we're not giving you the exact answer. You know, you got to seek help with your individual professionals, but that's an, that's a fascinating topic because there is a lot of damage done by affairs and done by that mistrust and lying. And, and with social media now you're, you know, you're in technology space, working apps and people getting on apps and uh, I mean, even like liking other people's pictures and, and things like that. So do you, I mean, do you, have you isolated sort of the core themes behind, you know, why these affairs happen? Like why people are so compelled to reach out and go into other spaces? Is it, is it unmet needs individually? Is it more missing aspects of the relationship? Like what do you see in your work? Yeah. And I'd say like, there's even now the rise, which I've been doing some like media around is like soft cheating is I feel like people are really talking about soft cheating a lot. So like these little like liking the Instagram models, maybe sliding into you like there's like a lot of layers to it now that are getting yeah. and then here's the new one is the AI chat box things where people are having full blown like AI relationships. So we have a lot of like layers of what is even considered cheating now that I think the most important thing 
And which I do really love about what Paired does well is helps couples, um, like guide couples through these conversations. And so there's, you know, like really like, how do we talk about these values and boundaries in our relationship? Uh, also, I just said boundaries and I'm like, oh, we have a big, there's a big media thing going on about how do you talk about boundaries? So I think that's perfect. Yes. How, and I think that's really what it is. And so you have pieces of it that are feel very big and obvious. Someone cheated, right? We're talking about addiction. We, you've made sort of concrete promises to the relationship and now you're breaking them potentially all these things, right? Underneath that, you have, you know, as a couples therapist, I'm treating the couple. I'm not really even right. an individual. Um, and I'm really focusing on like, what is blocked in this dance between this, these, you know, two, maybe more people, but mostly I'm working with two people, right? That this person feels like instead of talking to this person, I love like presumably like my person, right? Like I, I work with people in long relationships. I'm going over here. I'm in so much pain that I'm willing to risk hurting someone I care about. And I'm going to go over here. So what could be going Right. So we have um, unmet needs and maybe it's a relational need, but most of the time we have childhood trauma. Right. We have other really big things that haven't been attended to. And I think what's really confusing sometimes for folks is we think of trauma as like this like capital T trauma. Right. Like that. big event, Right. And so compared to how is it showing up in your relationship? A lot of times couples have talked about those major major events. So they've talked about the parent that left them or, you know, that died. They've talked about the moment that there was like, even if there was like, you know, sexual abuse from childhood, we've talked about those things. A lot of times I, I rarely have couples that are really surprised that their partner significant thing. What I do find is that a lot of couples don't even understand those smaller sort of lowercase t traumas, attachment-related traumas that gave you this message, either young in a past relationship, early on in this relationship, that said, don't turn to talk to people. Don't reach out. You're on your own. You're alone. It's scary, right? And those messages can come from parents who are literally not having time. They can come from, uh, so I have a, well, soon to be third grader, so I have an eight-year-old, and they're fine in their class. The other class, there's a ton of bullying, right? And so now it's like my therapy brain. I'm like, oh my gosh, like these significant events happening for their friends that the parents don't know how to handle. There's tons of bullying. And it's like, I hate Kristen Club or whatever it is, right? Yep, yep. And me as a therapist, I'm like, oh, this is, I hear it. Like I hear exactly what it sounds like for the 35-year-old sitting with their partner saying, you're going to leave me anyway. So I just did this thing because second grade, all my friends left me and I still don't know why. So I don't know why people leave me. They do. Right. And so I think sometimes we'll talk about it like it's self-sabotage or something like that. But I, I think there's this level of, we have these tiny messages of, I can't be close to you that we get throughout our lives. I thought, for a long time that the, you know, and you play with words like biggest or most important and blah, blah. But I just, for me and most of my work, I just see this identity reinforcement, right? And so early on the message gets in and to use your example, I'm somebody who gets left, right? I'm worth, I'm not worth staying with, I'm leavable, right? Whether they're true or not, or emotionally make any sense. I mean, explain that to a six-year-old, who cares? It got in, Right. And then there seems to be this, this drive to almost prove that right 
over and over and over again until you do the work, right? Because it's like, there's something weird and comforting about it to our brains to go like, you got left again, you were right, you're not worth it, that original message is true. It's almost like it gives people like a sense of order, like I knew it was coming, you know, and um, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do about that other than to dig in the work and do the trauma reprocessing and, and deliver a new message. You know, you've got to re regroup and reframe that message. Um, because if you can't unlock that identity, if you can't unlock that, you know, if you can't unstick that identity, it's like, you're going to repeat it. You're going to repeat these patterns, you know? So speaking about repeated patterns, um, you know, probably one of the first questions that pops up when you talk about infidelity and relationships is, are relationships salvageable? Do people survive affairs? Is there an, another side to this? Like, can people actually truly get back on track after something like this happens? I know it's like people are like, oh, no, once they've once a cheater, always a cheater. And it's like, there it is. I mean, in reality, your relationship takes work, right? Whether you have this thing to get through or not, relationships are so much work. You have two people with two different realities coming together, trying to fit into one reality. So like in that and when we're hurt, we tend to lose curiosity. And so then we stop getting curious about what's happening for our partner. Why, why did they cheat? We're really stuck in, they intentionally hurt me. They did this to hurt me. I'm in so much pain, right? I'm in fight or flight now. Like I am just sort of like fully retreated back to my own like wounded place. And so I've walked through so many relationships that have, you know, real, I would say like not just recovered, they've created a new relationship. And the thing that I tell couples is, the moment, honestly, like the moment the affair happened or moment the big event happened um, that broke down trust completely, your relationship ended. Because what's happening when people come into therapy is they're trying to hold on to these little pieces of what they had, right? And so then they're trying to recreate this thing over here, but then we're not acknowledging in how much pain someone's in, right? And so the moment I'm just like, no, the relationship's done. It's completely over with. It has fallen apart. Let's not even pretend. It like creates this level of safety that they don't have to like hold on to those strings anymore. Mm, yeah. And so then we can be like, so what's the relationship you actually want? And like, how do we create that? And we're doing a lot of repair work and we're going back to the events and helping make sense of it. So it's not that we're, you know, a fair work, you can't just sort of live in the future. We got to go <laughs> actually. Yeah, right. um, I'm really good about boundaries of like, you don't want to over ask by the time people end up in couples therapy, they've kind of over asked at that point. So there's very little that's going to come out right with me that has it. I'm like, mm, we didn't need to read all those messages. <laughs> but I think really it's, it's not that the relationship is salvageable. It's that if you have two, you know, people that are willing to make that investment and to say, this is going to be really hard but I want to show up in a way that I never have. You know, I want to figure out who I am. Most people have really lost themselves and I want to do that. And as I do that, I want to welcome you into that process. And I want, I want you to understand me more. too. Yeah. I like that. I like the reframe of that, of not, not trying to recreate the old relationship, but a new relationship, because I think it does take the pressure off. And it reminds me of those like makeup 
you know, break up to make up, make up to break up couples, right? We're together. We're not together. We're together. We're not together. But, um, you know, some of that is we just throw it under the label of toxicity or, you know, whatever the case may be. But in reality, it is. It's ending and it's a new start and it's ending and it's a new start. And you bring the past with you into that new relationship and you have to negotiate the future with this new version of that person. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. You you had mentioned the boundaries thing. Are you uh, are you up on the, the Jonah Hill boundaries conversation? Are you in on that? Do you have an opinion and I'm up on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So well, let's talk uh, let's talk about that a little bit. So just to frame it and I'll miss all this because I'm not great at the social media stuff, but some personal text messages came out. Jonah Hill was dating this young lady and she was doing some stuff that he no he no longer could tolerate. He he spelled out this big long list of if you're gonna be with me, you can't do these following things, right? And some ranged from duh, like, you know, you can't have like sleepovers at other people's houses. And some were more in the sense of like, mm, I don't know, this is a little controlling, right? Like you're not, you're a surf instructor, but you're not going to be at the beach with men anymore, you know? And it's just sort of like, so people are sort of torn on like, did Jonah set healthy boundaries or did he overstep or where, where do you, where do you fall on this conversation? What's your take? I'm curious. So anytime I'm talking about like a celebrity couple thing is like we're talking about the topic of it, because in reality, I hope there's so many conversations that they had behind closed doors that we will never know. Mm, right. Like yes. ideally. So we're, you know, I think the important thing is, is that and like, wow, people are super divided on it. Like there's a lot of people really defending him um, is what he said in those requests, if that was agreed upon thing as a couple that like you talked about, any of those items in themselves could be a thing a couple wants as a boundary. Like couples have many different types of boundaries that they have or values that align with the values they have in their relationship. So people are picking apart like one of those things be like, this is fine. I'm like, it could be, right? It could also be that you, you know, you don't wear shoes in your house. The really key miss here, and it's so sad that like Jonah Hill has like a you know a documentary on therapy and like an amazing one. It was so good and trauma and like all of these things. And it's like we're missing the the same thing that like kind of most people are missing about boundaries is a boundary is talking about what I'm gonna do and my actions. And in this relationship, for me to be fully in this relationship, I'm talking about safety as a whole of our relationship and my actions, right? So for me to be vulnerable and safe, blah, 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 I, you know, and I'm talking about my feelings. What Jonah Hill did is said, for you to be with me, you got to do this and you need to act <laughs> this way. And that's, and they might've had a hundred conversations and these text messages are like laying it out. Fine. Who knows? Either way, what we read in those messages are not boundaries and we can't even pretend to be having a conversation. Right. Those are commands. And you, and he wanted someone to be um, just obedient to those commands. Right. Mm -hmm. Compared to him saying, Oh my goodness, I'm feeling so insecure when I see people commenting on your bathing suit pictures or when you're hanging out with these friends, you know, more likely what's happening is I can't, reach you and I can't reach you from when the time is the beach until 10 hours later and I'm panicking and it's tapping into a trauma story for me and I think we need to come up with a plan as we continue to build this relationship 
that like, so like, what do I do in that panic? You don't have to tell me what to do, but like, I think we need to just like talk about that because he's not resourcing, right? And our ability to function is our ability to resource. He wasn't resourcing at all. He wasn't going potentially to those stable places to help me be like, wow, I'm feeling so insecure in my relationship. Let me talk to my therapist. Let me do the, you know, even couples therapy. Um, When you just want your partner to act in a way that makes you feel better, period, it's really deleting a lot of the humanness of the relationship. Yeah. Your partner gets, it's reductionism, right? Like your partner becomes a tool for your survival or a tool for your comfort, as opposed to an autonomous, uh, independent, living, breathing organism with their own wants and needs and desires that have to somehow coalesce and, you know, cooperate with yours. So, uh, Leo, we'll have to add that. Make sure we put a link to that in there because we, we should probably pull it up and look at it. And I will say in defense, I mean, I've had several phones in my lifetime. I don't think I'd want anybody to go through my text messages and grab two of them any two that they choose, right? Like you don't get the hundred before you don't get the hundred after you just get these two where, you know, there's like a cuss word or you're saying something or you're just like, that's not your best version of yourself. And there's a history there that you're locked into. So yeah, no judgment. We're not trying to crucify anybody here, but it is an interesting conversation. And I think what's interesting is the division, right? Everybody's laying on one side or the other. We're not really seeing those shades of gray in the middle. And that makes me think about your work, Mariah, with like, you know, when you talk about activism and you talk about couples, you talk about addiction, I mean, you're really trying to bridge that gap of division and bring connection where there was otherwise just this, that division, you know, two people are separate, can't see eye to eye. Let's bring them together. Two groups of people are separate, you know? So is that, is that, um, it's interesting that you find yourself in that space. Is that intentional? Like, did you know you wanted to work on that topic and work in that area and bring, you know, resolve division and bring connection? Or is that something that you brought with you from childhood? Like, how did you find yourself helping in that way? Yeah. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a therapist, like legit since I was in high school. So there is that um, piece of it. And, you know, I'm sure there's like many like birth order stuff and childhood stuff around like, why do I enjoy helping people having healthier conversations? Um, But I do think there's a level of, so I come from an activist family um, and my grandparents, uh, my grandpa's Pete Seeger. So he's like, uh, he's passed a musician and activist. And I grew up going to marches. I grew up, you know, activism wasn't like that thing you did over there. Like maybe you volunteered. Like mm-hmm. in our house, it was constant. It was, you know, my grandfather would be talking to someone in a parking lot and there's trash on the ground and he's like talking to someone and he's picking up trash. And he, you know, like there's just sort of this, always this level of you have something to contribute to the world, which I think can be really hard for a lot of people of like that pressure of like, and now what do I do with that? Um, and I'm sure family members of mine have felt that pressure. I didn't feel necessarily that pressure, but I do, um, I think there's something important in terms of, for me, feeling like a lot of the wellness spaces uh, are very white, right? And are very, are very diverse. Like if you, in reality, like most of the therapy trainings I go to are mostly white, people coming from similar backgrounds. Um, so I think that was really important for me to be willing to do more media and other things to just have more voices that are diverse, conversations that are diverse. And then in terms of, so the activism that I started, um, we just had our fourth annual Charcot event and it's for families and kids to talk about systemic issues around 
racism and homophobia and transphobia at a level that your kids can really understand. Because I think that was a really big thing in 2020 with BLM is that parents really didn't know how to talk to their kids about what was going on because a lot of the time we're talking about activism work in reaction to somebody dying, right? In reaction to this bad thing compared to we have systemic issues that we can be talking about all the time. We can have conversations all the time. And it's not just talking about a big, big, bad, scary thing. It's really, it's this identity work. It's a talking about who you are, how you show up in the world. How does that influence how you interact with other people? Um, and depending where you are in the world, how people perceive you, you know, that really can look different. And it's important to have these conversations with your kids that are young, no matter who they are, how they identify, what they look like. Mm-hmm. They're in classrooms with friends that are diverse. And, you know, my kiddo had people saying, I'm not going to play with you because your skin's dark since they were like three. So parents that then tell me, you know, that their 10 year old can't talk about racism. And I'm like, my kid didn't have a choice. Right. They're coming school being like, that's why they wouldn't play with me. And I'm like, you know, gutted. And they're in like a super liberal preschool. Like it's not even like based. And you're just like, yeah, because kids don't know, like they're just learning from the environment around them. Um, but if you're a parent, you know, I think a lot of people want to do a lot of good and it's just really, again, scary to talk about these things, have these conversations. And so the chalk art event I started was first, it was remote. So you could just like do it from home for I had a second kid in the pandemic. And so we were not out and about doing anything <laughs> for a very, such a weird time. It It's like hard to even remember. And it was not that long ago. Um, So you could talk to your kids about, you know, important issues that matter to you, and then you can talk and do art about it. And it's really important in my mind to get things out of your body, right? To not just sort of like talk about these things and squish them up. Like it's really important to help those things move out of your body. And then you get like for that, and it went pretty viral. It was like Good Morning America and all the the things. Um, Really just like, thank you, you're creating art as a family and then you're sharing it. And then here in Beacon, New York, we come together as a community and it's almost like a big play date and there's like tons of beautiful art. It's really lovely. Um, And it's a good way to spend your July 4th in the morning. What are you, um, it is beautiful and it's amazing that you're doing that. And it's even amazing, it's even more amazing still that you start it like, in that time of great division, everybody's isolated and here you are again, like there's got to be a way to connect. So I think that says a lot about you. Um, what are, what are, what are kids wanting to say? I mean, so I, what are the themes that show up in the art? You know, you said that your, your child was dealing with like, they won't play with me because of my skin color. If we're trying to get this stuff inside and out. And I think every parent, no matter where they fall on the issue, they want to know what their kids are thinking and they want to know what their kids are struggling with. And they want to make their life a, you know, a little bit easier and a little bit better so what are we missing? What are the things that these kids are putting out that are showing up in their art that you think that we're missing day to day? I mean, I think like the the youth, right, like care so much about the earth and the world and what's happening with it. It's really kind of beautiful. Um, I mean, at this, <laughs> this event, I was like looking at one and I couldn't quite read the handwriting. And it was uh, like a sixth grader came up to me and he's like, it says flip the court. And I was like, oh, okay. You were just like full on, like me in sixth grade. I'm like, I'm going to come from a pretty political family in that way. And I'm like, I don't think I would have known what flip the court meant when I was in sixth grade. <laughs> like, what? Um, but yeah, I think kids are talking a lot about like just what's happening. I mean, we just went through like you couldn't even breathe outside, right? With all of the 
like the fires and then we had the record, you know, on July 4th was the hottest day of the entire world, right? Like ever in what, 125,000, something crazy. Um, And so like, we're talking about that. We're talking about these like big things and it's like, what do they do about it? And they just don't want to sit around and be frustrated. And then we're, you know, with the bullying and things like that, talking about, so what, what could a person be going through if they're isolating and dividing other kids and how sad could they be feeling? And, you know, so we're talking about mental health, which is a really big thing. And it's really beautiful. I mean, elementary school students now, talk about mental health. They have language and for it, depending where they are. And I think it's really beautiful. I agree for sure. It's funny to speak to the, the earth issue. We went on vacation. We were on vacation on the fourth, but we're gonna have to rearrange our vacation. I'm going to have to make it to the event. It sounds, it sounds crazy. I mean, um, I'd love to see it, but for the first time in, that I can ever remember in my life, we packed a uh, air purifier um, at, at one of my children's urging, like, you know, like, Hey, we're going to a place. There's some weather advisory stuff, you know, some air advisory stuff. Cause the wildfires and, you know, it just looked different. I mean, you went through, you got hit really hard with it. You know, I mean, we lost, uh, so where I live, we can see, you know, there's mountains around it. You know, we lost Mount Monadnock for a couple of days. It's like, wow, you didn't really think about it until you, till you lost that, you know? And so here we are off to a vacation with an air purifier, which I think is an interesting you know, what do you do with that to know your kids are sort of thinking that and processing that way and say, I got to take something so I can breathe, you know, um, it's, it's a different level, uh, of awareness for sure. And as a parent, again, you want to make your life, their life a little bit better. What do you, what are you going to do with that? It's a world issue, but a individual worry. Right. And it's like, it, it's tough. It can leave parents feeling helpless, I think. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to talk about with your kids. And it's so wild to know that, like, this is how they're growing up. Like, they're not going to – our kids don't know any different, right? Like, like the pandemic, like, this is what they know. And so here, I mean, a lot of kids were wearing masks back to school. And, like, that week that was really bad. I mean, the air quality work was, like, the worst in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So, um. Yeah. And it was like not weird seeing a whole bunch of kids going back into schools with masks. Like it was just, yeah, it was, yeah. and you're sort of out in the back. I remember we went to the library one day and I was like, should we be out in the world? And we had math. It was, it was so odd. It was kind of early COVID-esque where it's like, is it safe? Like, I don't know. I don't know that it is. You know what I mean? Like that guy coughed a block away. Let's all go home. You know, it's like, it's, it's kind of how it feels, you know? Um, so, so speaking about kind of weird and, and rare moments in history, you brought up the, the Black Lives Matter, you know, movement and the riots that are going around there and the activism. And you'd also talked a little bit about, you know, being a person of color and kind of seeing that the places you wanted to work were kind of white dominated spaces, right? So the field that you wanted to get into, um, you know, for a lot of folks, you know, I grew up in Ohio, right? Midwest. And uh, it's hard to tell, but I'm, I'm fairly white. And so it's like, that's not how we grew up, right? That wasn't in our awareness. That wasn't in our ecosystem. It's not something that we we gave a lot of thought to. So I'm curious as somebody who did have that experience and awareness and those thoughts, like what challenges did it create for you? Like, did it make your pursuit of your career harder? Like what, what did we miss about what you were trying to do and how that was harder for you because of that, of those systemic issues? Yeah. So I grew up in Beacon, New York, where I am right now. Um, and, but I lived in North Carolina and Washington DC and then I spent eight years in Minnesota. So really 
And I started my career um, like in private practice in Minnesota. And I'm so licensed in Minnesota and I'm with Evolve Therapy. It's a big um, couples therapy practice there, um, which is great. And so it's like, I think it's important to sort of like, it does feel different. So like me, and I'm very light skinned. So for those who are watching this, I'm mixed. So I'm black, white, and Japanese. Um, and I mostly, you know, here in New York in the Hudson Valley, grew up in very white spaces. So I have my dad's black and I have family that's black and friends are, um, you know, really many races, but the schools I went to were white. Um, so I was very much like the only in a lot, and I danced growing up and it was a lot of, just a lot of white kids around me. Uh, and so there is that feeling of, you know, sort of in a sort of cliche classic way of like, you're representing a lot. Um, for a lot of the kids, I was one of the only people of color that they were around. And so, you know, my hair's different. And, um, but I also come from this like decently famous family. So like everyone knows who my family is. So there's a lot of, I'm very aware of the privilege that comes with being light skinned and coming from a family in the Hudson Valley that like everyone knows. Both of my parents grew up here. <laughs> so there's a lot of stability. Sure. Um, and, in terms of getting into this field. So then I go and create a career though, away from here, which would have been very different than creating a career. And I wouldn't say I would sit in a place of like, Oh, and that created a lot of struggle in terms of like, I was like blocked or you know, there's like no big story, like struggle story around that. But what happens um, when you're not part of the dominant culture where you are. So whether it's at work or even just sitting in a training or meeting it and just that feeling of I have to be more, I have to do better, I have to. Uh, this level of just not feeling fully a part of the group that gets really in you. Um, and I work a lot with people of color. I work a lot with mixed race people that just sort of never quite feel like they have their full place in the world because you know, in this extreme sense of those extreme racist moments where someone says, go back to wherever you came from. And you're like, where, like, where, where is that? Right. So we see making the news of the Karens doing the things. Right. But in the amount of times I have been at a thing and being asked to be an expert or represent something that is not just outside of my job description, but outside the scope of who I am, you and, you know, like when I was a kid in all white school, they'd be like, right, you'll read the Kwanzaa. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. But also like next door could read it too. Like we're both just reading a book about Kwanzaa. Right, right. Like right. I could have a deeper attachment to it, but like my family were, they were slaves. They don't have any, like, you know, like, like my parents celebrated Christmas too. There's not, <laughs> that's here. Um, you know, so like all these little moments where you're singled out and you're noticed. And then in a professional sense, what does that look like? It's well, people of color off. I, I run a um, group for therapists of color and we were discussing it today. And most people were talking about of just sort of feeling you know, when you're working at bigger agencies, a level of burden and responsibility of people of color often are like, oh, you have more spiritual practice or, you know, there, we have a couple that is black, you know, can you answer questions about this? Now, me personally, my clinical experience is I do um, work with people of color. So like that totally works. But then there's a million questions you could have about someone's experience for a therapist who like they're especially literally today was just in addictions. That is their specialty. And then they're being asked 
some religious thing. And they're like, why would I know about that? Right, right. And it's sort of like, well, why wouldn't you know about that? I'm like, you know, so there's a lot of those moments of you're expected to know so much more that can create a lot of pain. Before we go on, I want to say a few words about a new behavioral health. A new behavioral health is an outpatient provider of mental health and substance abuse services in Ohio and New Hampshire. That means that a new can successfully treat mental health and substance abuse issues or dual diagnosis if you're struggling with both. Their integrated approach allows for them to successfully address issues related to anxiety, depression, addiction, trauma, and really anything that stands between your life and the life you could be living. You really cannot bring them an issue that they have not successfully treated. They have also solved one of the biggest problems for people seeking help. They have a dedicated team waiting to hear from you at helpnow at anewbh.com. If you contact them today, within 24 hours, you will have heard back from, wait for this, a real live person and will also have your first appointment scheduled at that time. So how do you contact them? Well, if you're in Ohio or New Hampshire, you're probably close to one of their local locations. You're welcome to go in. If not, you can always reach them online at anewbh.com. And if you're interested in services for you or loved one, use that address, helpnow at anewbh.com. You know, one of my favorite shows is The Office, right? And I think one of the things that in the early episodes they poked fun at was that, you know, with Diversity Day and those type of episodes. And then when they went to play basketball, like Stanley was his first pick. And, you know, and there's times where there would be like black issues that would pop up or even, you know, cultural issues. Like, what do you think, Stanley? Or what do you think, you know, Stanley taps into our urban market, you know what I mean? And all that stuff. And it's like, ha, 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 right? And that's a sitcom, but it's funny because it's poking at something that's still present in the world today. And the cure for that for me, where I do have experience in this is I played a lot of sports growing up, right? And so like on a baseball field, I felt very different than I was if I was in a basketball tournament, right? And I've had these experiences where we go, you know, I grew up in the Cincinnati Dayton area. We're downtown Cincinnati, downtown Dayton, much more urban area. Um, Believe it or not, looking at me now, but I could actually play a little bit. And there would be time like, hey, there's 10 people on the floor. And one of them, looks a lot different than the others, you know what I mean? And so, but you have that feeling. So I've had little tastes of that where you kind of look around and you're like, hmm, you know, no, no one exactly like me right now. And the fact that I'm noticing that means something, right? Because it's a thought I never had to have in the other contexts. Um, you know, and, and so do you feel that with, you know, that the Black Lives Matter movement <clears throat> with, um, you know, therapists of color, the different issues that you've had in terms of working on division and working to bring things together. Do you feel that after that period of time, like now we are closer together? Are people getting it? Like, is there an increased connection? I mean, I know there's certainly increased awareness because we're talking about it, but I guess it's just a really long way of me asking, are we in a better place now or are we still trending in the wrong direction? So hard, right? Because on the one hand, I think like even today's conversation, right? This conversation five years ago might have felt like, ooh, like what's happening? You know what I mean? Like, like, please, we can have a conversation about race. We could have a, you know, like, so I think it's in that sense, in a social sense for a lot of people, it's given that big permission of, yes, you can have this conversation. Please have this conversation. Please bring it. You know, um, I think for most people, this idea of like being colorblind is now, oh my goodness, that's not the way to go. So a lot of people grew up being like, yeah, that was like very 90s of you or 80s of you. Like, 
really walked around um, thinking that. So I think in that sense, yes. In from like a political sense, or if we just, I mean, we just went through Pride Month, you know, in America, and we just see the amount of transphobia and homophobia happening in such an intense way. I think there's a lot of very scary things going on for a lot of people where they don't feel safe. But I think those are also really extreme things, even if it's deeply impactful for a lot of people compared to, you know, close friendships, um, you know, podcasts or even acquaintances or therapists to therapist groups. I think there's a lot more language that we can talk about, which is really nice. So I don't know. I don't think I have an answer of better is it worse. I think some things are actually much worse because people got very angry about the protests. I mean, people were very angry to have a black president X amount of years ago. Anger fuels a lot of things. And that's really scary. So that's really scary to know um, there used to be shame in being racist. And now there's not. You're kind of, you know, a lot of people really don't want to be racist and they're talking about it. And then now people have no shame about it. And so that's fun. Yeah. Well, and again, to fall into the trap of speaking for other communities and all communities, right? Like, I think the the thing is, it feels like the pendulum has swung the other way, right? And so from a, a white perspective, they feel like, well, this is not, sometimes this is not about coming together. This is about, hey, we're pissed. We were hurt. Things happened. And now we're mad at you, even though you individual person X hasn't, you know, you, you, you go work at a car dealership and you come home and you watch some movies and you don't really do anything. It, it, it starts to get interpreted as like, okay, is this a conversation or is this like a beginning of payback retribution? Is there fear and, and lack of safety on both sides of the equation now, which is an interesting thing, right? So this is not a good or bad judgment but when you have clear hierarchy, right? The dominant group doesn't feel unsafe, right? Which can lead to some really bad things. And, you know, the disenfranchised group does. And so now I think what you've got is people feeling less safe on both sides of the equation, um, which may be necessary for our growth. I, I don't want to evaluate that and judge is good or bad. The story is yet to be told, but I think it has certainly made people uncomfortable and it becomes an uncomfortable topic. Um, but from an activism family, um, maybe you would say discomfort is part of that process, you know? Uh, you know, I don't know why, I mean, if you don't, if you don't have, if something doesn't hurt, why would you ever reevaluate it? Right. You know, why would you do anything differently? We kind of uh, have to dismantle things to get them going. You know, I sort of believe that in all the things and uncomfortable conversations are kind of the only path forward. Like if you're comfortable all the time, that's pretty weird. It's true. Yeah, maybe you're just you're disconnected or you're in denial, right? If you're you got to play pretend to be comfortable all the time. Yeah. So what do you think is next? And because I mean, you know, we're sort of in this transition phase. I feel like you said now it's about sort of transphobia. The the BLM stuff is not so much front and center, although there's a lot of efforts that are being made. Um, I guess where do you hope this conversation goes or what do you hope the next steps are? And how does that compare with what you see actually happening? Like, are we at least on the right track? Yeah, I mean, sadly, we actually see a lot of like bigger organizations, which I do feel like choices that big companies make or like big media companies make, right? Like do impact culture in a really big way. Um, and we see, you know, they're firing and ending, right? Some of those positions that came about in 2020. So there's more like not diversity hire as in that, but in terms of like, you know, these positions that are really supposed to help organizations command diversity and understand it. Um, are getting let go as, I don't know, 
we're going through a recession, whatever you want to call it, right? I'm not going to be an expert, but as companies are losing funding, right? Um, so I think that's an important thing of there was a lot of buzz around it. And then people did a lot of book clubs and I got a lot of apology letters of Mariah. I had no idea life was this way for you. And I was like, I just don't understand what's happening right now. And please stop sending me apology letter. Lots of them. It was very intense for a bit. That's a real thing, huh? Oh, so real. So real. Yes. It was almost unbelievable. And I think it's because of the I'm in. I'm unfamiliar. I haven't written a letter. Is like a whiteness apology letter or like oppression or just I'm now aware that life must have been so bad for you. And yeah, yeah, that one. It was, I think because I move in so many different spaces, right? Like I'm a sure, human. Sure. I have a lot of different kinds of circles I'm in doing different things. Um, because of that, compared to like my, uh, yeah, I've been married to um, my partner for 11 years, right? Congrats. Well, thank you. Yes. Um, group of friends and he was not in plenty of white friends, right? Like he's also mixed, but he's like a large, uh, ex NFL player, <laughs> like black guy mixed, but like, you know, went to a college. So has like plenty of teammates that are white. So like, he has a very mixed group of friends. He's not getting any apology letters from them. Like they're like, <laughs> right. people, like they know each other. Right. I was getting them from people who I've known for years, maybe since undergrad, voice messages it was all very much like heavy blm times and it's long messages my voicemail filling up messages on facebook being like you know i feel so bad i did not understand this was still happening in the world sort of like truly people who have lived many places close to many things were just deep i mean i i won't write a book about this but if i ever did right like we're deeply (laughs) apologizing I kind of want to hear him. Like, it's an interesting book. I mean, it's like letters to Mariah, you know, it's like, yeah. But it, it, but there's a sense that that comes from a good place. Like, it's like an effort, right? Like, you're trying, like, that's, but almost at the same time, you're missing the point simultaneously, right? Like, you're wanting to do something demonstrative and tangible, but that's sort of the opposite of what's needed in this moment, or it's just not resonating and not landing, you know? And just like go donate to an organization that's doing a lot of good. You know what I mean? Or something like that. Like, I mean, the key thing is as all of us are trying to evolve to be better humans and to treat the world better and to be to relate to people better. Like we're all, maybe not everyone, but most of it. If you're listening to this podcast, for sure, right? Like you want to show up more completely. And pretty consistently in any style of diversity training when you're navigating someone with a different experience and you've messed up, right? Not intentionally. I think the important thing is like a lot of times things are happening and people have good hearts. They're not doing this because they're trying to be, you know, that's a very, those are the people that are making the the little moment, right? Mm -hmm. Is coming from someone who just wants to like interact with you and relate to you and like does not mean harm, but harm is caused. And then if you go take up so much space in your shame, right, what happens is that person who did feel some sort of pain or something, you know, they don't even get the space to have that, to process that. Maybe they wanted to talk to you about it. Now they're caretaking you. And so now for me, I'm like, "Mm, okay, let me just go put that back here. I'll process that in therapy or, you know, with a close friend or, you know. But you're in a lot of pain because you saw that I'm a little upset or offended. And so now I got to go caretake you. 
talk about boundaries like and that is so exhausting um and I think it's probably okay if by the practice owner in Minnesota um we had a lot of talks about it around race and this is far before 2020 um yeah yeah working with she's white um working with clients of color and I would be like oh you can't say that right and we emotional labor navigate through that like the many times you have a therapist looking at your work. So an emotional, I, I didn't even say this. So I'm a certified and emotionally focused therapy. Oh, by the way. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> Part of your training is you are recording a lot of your therapy sessions. So thousands of hours of my couple's sessions have been recorded and then a part of those trainings are then we share those recordings with, you know, with permission from clients. There's lots of paperwork. Don't worry. <laughs> we for just training purposes. And so then our work is critiqued and criticized. So then I'm working with um, therapists and I'm like, okay, so you're working with a mixed couple. This is happening. And then the therapist says something that was not okay, thinking that they're being kind and nice. And then we have to really sit. And so me as the therapist, to another therapist doing that work, right? We all do a lot of supervision, is really sitting in, you know, how do you move back into the session and be present after you've understood you've potentially hurt someone? And you need, and I think what's really cool is that for therapists who are doing that well, it's the skill of, and I gotta do that by myself in session. I cannot expect clients. So how can we do that with our coworkers, with our friends? Right. How do we sort of honor the fact that like I'm not going to be perfect and I need to come back to you, but I can't always expect you to come and like find. Yeah. And I, I it's so interesting. I love your perspective on that because I actually didn't have that thought to begin with about now. It's sort of like that person's made the infraction on the front end and they're taking ownership of the the recovery process on the back end because now you having received that letter have to it's almost implied that you have to like. It, you know, go forth, my son, you have, your penance has been served. Uh, you know, we all is right in the world on behalf of all people of color. I forgive you. You have a blank slate, right? And maybe you're feeling some kind of way about that yourself, right? And maybe you don't want to offer that right now. And also it's not your job in that moment to to do that kind of stuff, you know? So it's funny because a lot of that apology stuff comes with an implied expectation, you know? Um, yeah. I think that was said honestly and like that is the exact feeling of like cool so I'm one person I don't know who you've actually like really hurt and offended like you've never done anything to me but right. <laughs> now I'm wondering <laughs> people get along with me really easily like what about right that like ex person who like wasn't <laughs> so agreeable and nice like how did you treat them not thinking how race factored into that so in keeping with that vein of connection, right, and this, and I guess race now being just kind of another bridge that we're trying to cross, right, another divide that we're trying to bring together, um, do you have any suggestions, trainings, or tips for people who desire to connect better with people of different colors, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, uh, different sexual orientations? I mean, it, you know, it's not an exhaustive list, but are there a handful of things that you recommend to people like, okay, good faith effort, you want to connect better to avoid some of those pitfalls, to avoid some of those mistakes. Here's some things to keep in mind. Yes. And I also realized like I should have come prepared with like book recommendations and podcasts and all the things, right? Because there are actually some amazing Instagram accounts that have come up. Um, so I can like send you a list of amazing recommendations. 
We'll put them in the show notes at the bottom if you do. Yeah. I will send you a list so I can actually like think about it. Right. And I should have prepped it. But I think most important is you need to do your own work. So I think, you know, and I think that's just sort of the consistent message always. But say you're starting, um, and I've challenged couples in the room on this, like you're starting a new relationship with someone who is Japanese, right? If you expect to learn every single thing about their culture from them, that is not you doing that work. You can learn about their particular family. You're going to go meet the family. What are your parents like? You would say that to anyone. But I think it's this tokenizing of like, like we don't have the internet available to you, right? Like that you were my one place and my one resource. I think that's (laughs) one of the biggest things that really scares me. I'm like, we, if you wanted to fix your dishwasher, right, you'd go Google this, you'd go find an expert, you would do so many things. And yet when it comes to identity, it's not just that people are curious about learning about their friend. They now expect their friend to be a Googleable source in their identity. And that they are now, you know, your that person's lived and marginalized experience is now at their disposal for anyone to learn and absorb. And now me personally, right? Like I'm doing I do media, I'm very much in an education space. I'm a like that's fine that I get a lot of these messages like, hey, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? I feel quite exhausted by it some days. Sure, I bet. But I also like equally signed up for it. You know, equally there's pieces of that that are my paycheck. A lot of people aren't. They're just an accountant. They're just a basketball player. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people very much have not signed up for having those conversations. And then to say no is is such an important part of this process of when people say, I'm not going to do that with you. And that reaction and that shame is so intense and has hurt so like has really caused pain for a lot of relationships. And so, you know, there's so many resources available to us right now and we just have to go read, absorb, watch whatever you're curious about right there. Um, and And this idea of ignorance at this point is wild to me, unless you truly, right? Like it's, it's willful. You, you have to try to not, yeah, you have to like avoid, right? In the information era, you have to avoid information to stay ignorant, you know, click on it. Nope. Not right now. Well, and just to be like willing to question things, you know, how many times, um, are you walking into a room or a dinner party like for you, Jason? And it is just like all white. Right. And are you questioning being like, what, like what's happening when there's no diversity around? And sometimes where you live, like when I live in Minnesota, right. There's very low diversity. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I think for people who live in diverse places and they don't have some level of diversity, like in their friends group or like kids, friends group, it's like what's happening for you and your family, if your kids' classes like recently diverse and that's not what's reflected back in your kids' friends groups. So, like what's happening there? Well, and it's interesting. So to to contribute to the conversation and share personally, so I live in New England, right? And I live in New Hampshire now. I grew up in Ohio. I lived in Texas for a long time. Uh, that was my diversity crash course, right? When I was in the Dallas area. And then, uh, you know, I'm in New Hampshire. So we moved to New Hampshire because we like to hike, we like to bike, we like to climb mountains, and we like the pretty trees and rivers and lakes, right? But you put yourself in a situation in a state that's, what, 
white, right? And so literally by like sample size, you, I'm, I'm thinking with you when you ask me that question. And it's, it's hard because you're like, yeah, I, you know, if I, if I had all my friends over for dinner, it would be, you know, the majority would be white, really would. Um, and, and then you start to ask deeper questions. Is that by choice or is that by chance? And is that, you know, what does that mean if it's one answer versus the other? So I love your question and I want to give it some honest thought because something as innocent as like my wife's from Canada and we like the outdoors, it puts our children in a position where those opportunities are not as readily available. You know, and so is there some intentionality to making those opportunities available? So it's not, <gasps> I went off to college and I saw one, you know what I mean? Like that's ridiculous in this day and age, but that happens, you it know? It absolutely happens, which, right, is just nutty, but that absolutely happens. Well, and I think that's like a good thing to think about. It's like, so then, you know, and I have family in New Hampshire and Vermont, right? Like, so I up that way <laughs> where we in Vermont um the end of the summer for a family reunion right which is mostly white to be clear <laughs> right? sure oh yeah oh yeah you know so I think there is that like in that environment what does it look like but then in other environments so like maybe you I don't know um if you have like if your kids have dolls you know what I mean like things like that like are you prioritizing, you know, here where we are in New York State, I was talking to my daughter's daycare, who they actually have like, there has to be this much diversity in the dolls in the daycare, no matter what they look like in the daycare. I mean, it's a decent diversity here. But, you know, in places where kids have diverse friends group, having a diverse doll collection would be considered really normal, right? Like my kids both have pretty diverse doll collections. Um, is that a priority no matter, because you can't, you can choose where you live, but you're not going to, you know, make New Hampshire diverse. Right. But those types of choices, what are the books on the shelf for your kid? What are the things that you have control of as a parent that can, you can really embrace diversity. Um, That is. Which little mermaid do you go watch? Right. We talked about that before. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And how do you have those conversations? So I do think it is important that if, the environment around you doesn't have that fully. There's so many ways to make sure it's like a more normal thing and not just like a little token. Here's my one black doll or the one, you know, kids comic book that, like, Oh, we do like the new Spider-Man or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just to normalize it for your kids. I think that's really important. It starts those conversations. Speaking of the, and that's, and so now we're back into the topic of representation, right? So you said like, I didn't see a lot of people that look like me in that space. And so if they're not seeing a lot of people who look like anything but them, um, their brains cannot become open to that possibility without that experience. Right. And so how, we don't know how it's going to go. And I don't think you want people learning that lesson or encountering that, like I said, for the first time at 18, uh, the doll thing is, is well, well timed because I think there's a, a clip going around right now of, uh, a mother who took her daughter uh, to get a doll and she got a black doll. It's a white family. And the cashier asked her if she was going to a birthday party. And that became a whole, like it opened up a whole can of worms in terms of conversation and um, the mother's reaction to it. But I think that's kind of right in that realm that you're talking about, right? I mean, unintentional as that may have been, it speaks to well, you're this color, so you would buy that color doll. You would have the, you would surround yourself with only that color. Why could you, why would you possibly want, you know, unless, you, oh, you're going to a birthday party. It must be for somebody else, you know. Uh, very weird. No, I think that's exactly it. I know we're out of time, but I think that's perfect. 
in the reality is how many, you know, black kids or any you know, Asian kids, right, grow up and it's all white dolls around them. And less the parent like thinks that that is really important to do where they go to their friend's house and it's just white dolls around them. One of the things we do have a little time, not forever. I won't keep you out past dinner, I promise. But this is such a great conversation. And I, I just love talking to you in general. Um, one thought that was out there that, that I've encountered online and other media and things like that, and I think it was even shared on the show, was this idea of pride around something that you were born, right? So like if you didn't achieve that, if you didn't work to become that, if you didn't, you know, develop a skill or did, didn't, you know, become that. So if I was born white, you know, which I was, or I was born black, you know, is it really something to anchor to or sort of like take pride in and the trans thing and gay, you know, sort of like, well, it's not a choice, you know, you're born that way. Okay. Then where's this pride come from? Where does this sense of pride or this sense of even the opposite side of pride, taking offense or being defensive about something that you literally had no voice and no opportunity to choose, right? It, it, to take it into like less emotional or inflammatory terms, like I'm proud to be a boy. Well, you, you just were born a boy, right? Like, so where's that sense of pride? Or I'm, I'm proud to be from Ohio. Like, dude, you just got lucky or unlucky, depending how you look at it. And you were born in Ohio. Like, it's not like you, you know, so, um, in thinking about connection and thinking about your work and thinking about the impact of that division on people, um, any reaction to that thought that maybe that this is overblown and this, this locking into pride into things that we have no control over only contributes to that division? I mean, the big thing is maybe there is a version within our lifetime where things feel really balanced and even and fair, right? And maybe we'll get there. The thing about having pride in a thing, when we're talking about those things compared to maybe Ohio, right? But I think the pride in Ohio, right, like is a little bit because maybe people are criticizing the Midwest or something, right? I know. Ohio's taking some heat online. I don't know where that came from, but yeah, I I get it. I have nothing. I've been to Ohio many times. I have nothing. (laughs) Um, You know, or even like from New York, right? There's so many I Love New York t-shirts. It all applies. It's nothing you chose. Yeah, yeah. So I think the important thing is that we're, clumping things together, right, is nobody out here is about to attack you or take away your rights to marry who you love, right, because you're from Ohio. That's probably not happening. Now, because you live in Ohio, you might have some rights for things and some not rights for things. Right. But the important thing is when we're talking about being proud of something, it's it's probably a thing that there's a lot of people trying to cut you down for being that thing. Right. And that's what gets confusing, you know, is when people are talking about like being proud to be a white male or something like this, which now is like a really scarier thing than just you getting mm-hmm. more without there being other things. Been cut down for a lot because of that. Now the me too movement sort of like acted like that's, you know, people that's the bad rap of it. Right. And it's like, no, there's actually a lot of crappy things happening that were really scary for people. And that's what was, but you know, there takes a lot of energy and a lot of bravery to say, you know, during maybe like take during pride to really be able to say like, I'm proud to be trans. I'm proud to be out. I'm proud. Like, that is a brave act because there are people out there who literally want you dead for what you're saying, you know, and you got to think about that sometimes what 
And there's so many people and there's so many children who know that, who grow up knowing that and then have to shrink and hide parts of themselves to be safe. And so coming out and saying, I'm proud to be X, Y, and Z or, you know, bringing whatever sort of culture forward, right, um, is also knowing that like your culture, whether historically or right now, has been completely whitewashed, has, you know, probably been colonized. And, you know, you know, if you think about slavery, how do you create slaves? You take away all the culture, you take, you dehumanize people, right? And that was not that long ago, right? Mm-mm. Sometimes we're talking about people's grandparents, grandparents, like great grandpa, we're talking about like very short, you know, time ago. Sure. Well, if you leave America, it's current, right? I mean, there are, right. So that's like now, like, like right now, like, like enjoy your, like enjoy your Apple watch and your Apple phone. And I have one, but like, you know, now like current. Yeah. yeah. Right. And how, what, no, I think, thank you for that actually. Um, Because, and how do we do that is we're dehumanizing, right? Like, and children, right? Like this was probably a kid touched a part on your Apple watch at some point. Right. And we've dehumanized that person in that thing that it's totally fine that like those kids over there are working so I can buy this thing. I would never let my American children do that. (laughs) But Mariah, it's such, it's such a gift. They're, they're so poor that those pennies that they get, that that actually helps that, you know, these are things I've heard said, right? Like, no, no, it's actually, it's actually a good thing. We can't compare it to American dollars because we're so advanced. So like, yeah, yeah, I hear five cents a day and you lose an arm and yes, you're six years old, but that like actually keeps their family afloat. So it's kind of, uh, and I'm like, wow, you really got to jump through some hoops to, to get there. You know what I mean? And so I, and I, and like I said, I have an, I have an Apple product in the other room that I'll pick up as soon as we're done. I'll look right at it, you know? I'm talking um, about one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Oh, by the way. Yeah. No, but I, I love your answer. And thank you for engaging then in that idea and sharing that because that's something that I hadn't thought of. You know, if you go back in history and take a, a, a thing that's not emotionally charged and there are cultures who killed people for being left-handed. Right. And so in that realm, right-handed pride would be silly because there's no threat to being right-handed. But to come out and say, no, I'm proudly left-handed would have been a brave act because it now put things at risk for you. It now puts you in certain, certain dangers. Um, no, thank you for that. That's a new, a new consideration that I hadn't really incorporated into that. So this is great, Mariah. Let's, let's do it again. Let's, this is so good. It's seven o'clock. I don't want to keep you forever. Um, but we, we've got to do this again. So, um, I always want to create a little space at the end, uh, for our guests, you know, things that you're currently working on upcoming events, like how do you, you know, what, what do you want to promote? What do you want people to kind of look at and, and connect with you on in the near future here? What can we per, kind of bring to people's awareness for you? So, um, I'm an in-house expert at the paired app, um, which for therapists, all therapists get a free premium membership. So you can use that with you and your partner. And the idea behind that is if you're recommending it to your clients, it's something you're authentically using. I use it with my partner. I find out things constantly. And we've been together for like 15 years. And I'm always finding out new things. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I highly recommend the Paired App for just like, you know, building healthy conversations in your relationship. And that's questions, right? So paired paired is like how it works is it actually like fires off questions to each other and like you get to compare and see like is that kind of the basis of it? 
Yeah. So the basis of it is there's a variety of different features in it, but you have one of them is you have a daily question that would be like, what is your silliest moment with your partner? You would answer it. You can't see your partner's answer until you answer. And so it brings up this level of like, I don't know what they're about to say to this. Trust and intimacy. Hundreds of questions. Um, and then we have deeper dive things and there's really fun games. So you can like, you know, like swipe back and forth. who's more likely to, you know, snore, yeah. things like that. So it's like just sort of very fun. I have clients who like will do it on a road trip. A lot of people use it every day. So you like roll over in the morning and maybe you just sort of like swipe a little bit instead of going to social media, you can do something that like is connecting with your partner, which is really helpful for couples. Um, or just throughout the day, I was thinking of you, but like, what's the random text you're going to send if you don't have anything, you know, like send a list, isn't it? So um, it's nice. You, and then your partner will get an alert that you've answered a question. Um, and then we're doing deep dive things where you have questions and then much longer like learning space things from me that help you under or other experts that help you understand, um, you know, like how to communicate better, how to fight better. Um, and we have so like those are all rolling out right now, like talking about sex. And so we're talking about, you know, culture and history and what we learned about it a little bit and then bringing into like those stories around yourself. Um, Very cool. Somatic and grounding. So there's, yeah, so there's like, it's a lot of learning space, but really it's a couple's communication app. Um, and then if you have like a burning relationship question, you can write into my refinery to 29 column, um, which is, can we talk? And you can Google that, or I can send you a link. Uh, and so you can ask literally any relationship question, um, which is super fun to kind of do that have a base behind like the ask a therapist. And then therapy practice, I'm not taking any more clients because I'm doing all the things. Um, <laughs> but I, we have our practice in Minnesota, which is Evolve Therapy, which is a couples therapy practice, which is amazing. So if you're listening to this and you're in Minnesota, that's definitely where I would head over. And then in New York, it's BFF Therapy. But I have no help for people who, after I do any media, like I get a bazillion emails <laughs> and I'm like, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm full, I'm full, I'm full. You told me to email. And if they want to send your apology letters to you, they send it. I'm kidding. No, they there's no more apology letters going to. <laughs> that's so right. about that cracks me up. Yeah. Good. That's a great story. So, no, that's good. So, um, yeah. And I always want to kind of, before we say goodbye, I'll kind of, you know, peg over to our sponsor as well. So, a new behavioral health, you'd mentioned me, you know, Minnesota and uh, New York. If you're, if you're in Ohio or New Hampshire, you know, a new behavioral health can be an answer as well. And it's funny because we didn't talk a lot about it except on the front end, but Mariah bringing this couples therapy and really it's just connection therapy to me, bringing groups together, bringing people together. Um, that's something that Anu can help you with in Ohio and New Hampshire as well. And you can find them at anubh.com or help now at anubh.com. So um, Mariah, just a, a final thanks to you. Uh, just so thankful you came by. Uh, your partner's been on the show. You've been on the show. You and Jamie was here. You guys both did a great job. And um, you know, I'm looking forward to connecting with you. We're not so far apart. So maybe around the July 4th event or something like that, or when you're making one of these visits, um, we'll connect in the near future and, and continue the conversation. But I really appreciate you coming by. I would love that. Awesome. All right. So thanks to all you. Like I always say at the end of every show, time is your most valuable resource. I'm so thankful and, and grateful that you spent a little of it with us. Um, I hope you got something out of this. I hope that you're feeling a little bit more connected or have gotten some new ideas that you can connect with. Um, and, you know, just, just thank you for stopping by. And I hope I see you at future episodes. And I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, until next time, take care of each, 
take care of yourself. I skipped to the good part. Take care of each other. That's the important one. So thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, although Through Help and Back is an excellent podcast with a lot of great ideas, I do want to let you know that in no way is Through Help and Back expected to be perceived as or relied upon in any way as specific medical advice or mental health advice for you personally. The information provided through Through Help and Back on our website or our podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment that can be provided by your own providers. Do not use our content in lieu of professional advice given by qualified medical professionals and do not disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking professional advice because of the information you have read on our website, heard on our podcast, or otherwise received from us. Although we love discussing issues related to healthcare, mental health, and addiction, we are not providing direct healthcare, mental health care, medical, or nutrition therapy services. We're not attempting to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure in any manner whatsoever any physical or psychological ailment, any mental or emotional issue, disease, or condition. We are not giving you specific medical, psychological, or religious advice whatsoever. Please take care of yourself and take care of others as you always seek the advice of your own medical providers and your own mental health providers regarding any questions or concerns you have about your specific health or before implementing any recommendations or suggestions from us. These are ideas that have worked for other people. We think it's important to share them. We do not guarantee that they will work for you specifically. Do not stop taking any medications without speaking to your physician nurse practitioner, physician assistant, mental health provider, or any other healthcare or medical professional. And if you have or suspect that you have a medical or mental health issue, contact your own healthcare provider promptly. Also, one last thing, if you know or suspect that you are currently experiencing a crisis, it is absolutely imperative that you seek the advice of your doctor or other emergency healthcare services prior to ever thinking about using our content. We love the conversations. We're glad you're stopping by. We hope you take a lot from the content. But again, for your specific individual medical situation, please always seek quality personal care from your own providers. Do not let this uh, information or this advice stand on its own. Thanks so much for listening.